Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. This is Franz. I'm on Skype with Steve Payne. Is that right? That is correct. So this is a a bit of a departure because normally I only talk about sailors in the Mediterranean. And you are, I guess, a sailor, but you're not doing it on a sailboat. You're doing it on a powerboat. So let's go back to the beginning and tell me your story. Well, I, I was born in the UK, in Torquay. And uh, I moved out of there as quickly as possible because it's just a little tourist town. And I went to London and I became a, a photographer and I worked for the Evening Standard and the Magazine and a bunch of other people. But the UK was in a bit of a mess because we'd had 12 years of Thatcher. And I'm like, you know what? I think I need to get out of here. And so I was doing photography and video. And so I... I I ended up in Los Angeles doing a couple of jobs, and it was wonderful. I I loved it there. The weather was good, but it wasn't just the weather. It was the people. It was the people that made it wonderful. And I ended up staying. And then my mother got old, and I came back to take care of her. Steve, we broke up a little bit. I thought about going back. Steve, we broke up a little bit. You broke up when you said I stayed there Blank, and I didn't hear, hear how many years. So start start at that point. Okay. So I stayed in California for 27 years, but then my mother got um, sick, and I'm like, you know what? I should come back and take care of her. So I moved back to Torquay, and I stayed with her until she passed away. Um, but by this time, the UK had got strange. You know, it got very nationalistic and... Brexit happened, and I'm, I didn't want to be there. And so I bought a boat and thought that I might just travel to Europe. And I had no idea what I was doing. I, I learned everything on the fly. The first night I slept on a boat ever was the night after I bought my boat. Um, and I have no regrets. You know, it's like three years later, I'm down in the Mediterranean, and... I love it, but it was, it's been an interesting journey. So tell us about the boat. I have a 1987 Birchwood TS-37. The TS means twin screw. So I have two 225-horsepower cruiser engines that um, are... are very reliable. They're big Cummings diesel engines, and they just go. All you got to do is make sure you change the oil every year, and they work. Nothing else matters. Um, I I thought about getting a sailboat because that's, real boats are sailing boats, but it just wasn't quite practical for me to do such a thing. It's like I would have had to learn how to sail. And learning how to sail is more complicated than learning how to run a motorboat. And so I I bought the motorboat in Bray, which is just west of London. 
And then the lockdown happened with COVID. So I was kind of stuck there for a while. But as soon as that lifted, I started to move myself around the coast. I ended up in Ramsgate and then everything lifted. And I went across the channel to France, to Calais. And that was the best move ever. You know, it was just wonderful. The French were wonderfully inviting and, and friendly and helpful and I, 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 I loved it. I, I intended on spending like three months going through France, but it was so nice that I ended up taking a year because, you know, don't buy a boat if you're in a hurry. All right. So bear with me while I, I just pulled up Google. If you've listened to my podcast, you know, I'd sort of like to follow along on sure. Google Earth or Google Maps. <laughs> So I can uh, follow your your course. So let me. Uh, so, so where did you cross the channel from then? I went from Ramsgate to Calais. All right. So let's see. Where is Ramsgate? I see Plymouth, Exeter, Bournemouth. Yeah, that's where I was born down there. But keep going up the coast, past Dover, until the bottom right hand corner of the of England, right. and that's Ramsgate. Let me just type it in. Sometimes that's faster. I have such bad, my audio quality since we moved offices is just gone down the tubes because I my office is now concrete floor and uh, hard walls and everything is being heard. So as I'm moving around, the audio quality just has dropped through the floor. I'm not happy with my new office, but I just have to deal with it. So I'm just telling my listeners that so they know yeah, what they're yeah. hearing. Because I'm on a I'm on a boat off the coast of Malta. And my internet connection's pretty damn good. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> Let me pull up Google Maps at the same time. Sure. Because sometimes I can fall faster on Google Maps and Google Earth. So. Well, Google Earth is a more complicated program. It takes a lot more effort for your computer to follow Google Maps. Yeah. Okay. Google Earth, so let me type in here Ramsgate. Ramsgate, UK. There we go. All right. So there we go. So from there, okay. So right on that tip of that peninsula. And where did you go to? On Calais. Calais. All right. C-A-L. Yep, I, I'm there. I'm there. Okay. Yep. So I'm there. So, but for you, you've been going back and forth between... Um, England and France your entire life. It's not not a big deal for you, I assume. Is that well, right? I, do. I mean, I've always liked France, and I, I, I work as a photographer and, and video director, and so I've been to Paris many times, but I can't tell you that I was very familiar with France. Um, I, I just, I've been there probably 20 times, but, like, just for work, um, because it's so close to the U.K., you, you work in France quite a lot. Or you used to before Brexit happened. Things are very different now. Okay. So then you went went through the canals, I assume. Is that right? Yeah. The, there's a an organization in France. It's a government-run entity called VNF. And they administer the uh, waterways of France, the rivers and canals that they... they they handle all the locks, the, the swing bridges. They make sure that the water is, is good quality and they're clear. 
and and they they do a great job. And you pay um, to use the French canals. You pay 126 euros a month, which is an absolute bargain in my opinion because they're they're very well maintained. And I I, I didn't I I had one problem once where a lock gate wouldn't open, and I called up the VNF, and within 10 minutes they had someone there who who fixed everything and we were able to go through the, the lock with no problems so when i looked at that because i at one point in time i thought of taking my boat through the french canals i as i read it i had to understand some french to be able to get my license does that apply to a boat owner that uh, comes over from england or or did no. you already f- no that's not the case no. They, 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 there was no language stipulation. What you do have to do is you have to have an ICC, which is an International Certificate of Competence, with a SEVNI, uh, which is a French thing, attached, which means that you just understand the lights and the flags because the French waterways are still used commercially a lot. I mean, a lot. Most of the boats on the French waterways are commercial boats, and they're not messing around. So you want to keep you want to know how to keep out of their way. You want to know what they're doing, what they are, and so you do a little thing called a sevmi, and they they connect that to your ICC, and you're good to go. Uh, I'm glad I did that because it just means you feel more confident as you're using the French waterways, you feel a bit more professional. Did you take that test online or did you have to appear somewhere to take that test? I, I could have done it online, but I actually did it at the Dover Sea School, which happened to be in Ramsgate. They, they moved. They were called the Dover Sea School when they were in Dover. Then they moved to Ramsgate, but they kept the name of Dover Sea School. Even though they were landscape, they were very helpful, and they they I, I did it in person, and it, it took probably half an hour, if that. But uh, it, it's good to have. All right, the other certification, the international license. Does that? I mean, we don't even deal with that in the states. We take the ASA course, or in my case, I have a Coast Guard Master's license. Does that apply over there? Or do you have to take a different test to get that? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, I would imagine that that is means you're overqualified. The ICC was very easy to get. Um, you know, it was just uh, like a half an hour multiple choice question. Um, it it just means that you've read the book. Do you know what I mean? It's like a driving like a driving test book. They they ask you silly questions. But it means you've gone through the book and you know how to answer the silly questions that they've answered they, that they that they've asked, and I, I'm I'm happy to comply with that. It was very easy. I think it cost I don't know twenty five pounds, twenty five euros, whatever. Uh, it just means that you feel confident when you when you're going there. And I never had to show anybody my my qualifications, but. For insurance reasons, you need to have that, which that's what really matters. Okay, and did you have to get any special insurance for doing the waterways, the French waterways? Yes. Um, I had boat insurance for the UK waters, 
and I had to pay an extra, I think, £55 <laughs> to cover me to go through. So I was paying about £500 a year insurance, maybe less than that. I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it was a bit less than that, but in that ballpark. Um, to go through the French waterways, it was an extra 50-something pounds, and uh, I, I was happy to pay that. My insurance company is really good very communicative and, and um, so it worked out very well um, that got me all the way to the Mediterranean and the the French coast to go past Genoa in Italy I had to pay another 50 pounds on my uh, policy that got me all the way like um, east of Genoa all the way down to Malta. Okay. So okay. only a hundred pounds extra, which I think is a bargain. All right. Let's first cover the uh, voyage through the canals. And I'm zoomed in on Cali and I see there's a big Harbor inside Cali. And then I see the canal taking off from that. Is that the canal you took? Yes, that is. Um, it, it's, uh, it's quite funny because when I got to Calais, I didn't realize that, they're French. They do things the French way. They were closed on Sunday. And so I got there on the Saturday evening and expecting to go into the marina and they're closed. And then Sunday happens and they're still closed. And I, I spoke to someone on the radio and they said, oh, yeah, we open on Monday. And I'm like, OK, so um they just opened on Monday. Uh, the French are very relaxed about stuff like that. And it seems it, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to start with. But once you understand their lifestyle, you totally appreciate it. And uh, I, I, I love it. It's really good. And so, they, they were very helpful at the marina. So what did you do for the night? Did you just anchor out somewhere then? Yeah, there's um, in the harbor. There are some mooring boys um, in the waiting area, and I just tied off to that, and all good. Not a problem. So then, then did you just go, did you have to clear customs or anything at the time, or did you just go straight on in? Um, I did not, they didn't, there's no customs clearing place. And it, it's, that's, I could do another hour talking about that. But um, no, you can just go straight on in. There, there, there was nowhere to check in in Calais. Okay, so you're heading into the canal. So how long did you stay in Calais? And then where did you go from there? I stayed in Calais, I think, three days. And then I, I started to go into the, the waterways. And I headed south and I, I got myself about 20 kilometers into France, maybe 30. And there was a big lock gate that was broken and they were fixing it. And I, I, I moored up just near it and I waited for like 25, 24, 25 hours. And then I, 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 I saw someone moving and I went up there and I said, what, what's the problem? And I was told that, ferme, ferme. And I said, how long? And I pointed at a, I got my calendar right on the, my iPhone. 
And I and he goes, oh yeah. And it was like two weeks that they were repairing this broken lock gate. And I'm like, okay. So I I, I backpedaled a little bit and I found a very nice marina. Um, and I I pulled in there and they were wonderful. And I, I ended up staying a month there because it was so nice. Even though the gate was open, the lock was open, I just elected to just stick around for a bit longer because it was friendly. It was a great little town. So I, I stayed there and uh, All enjoyed right. it. All right, I'm looking at Kaye, and it looks to me like there's actually two canals that go out of Kaye, I guess it is, Kaye. Uh, there's a Quar du Commerce, and then there's another one a little farther to the, uh, to the west, and I don't see the name of that, but it looks like they're both canals. Is that correct? I don't remember. Okay. My assumption is you're probably going down the biggest canal then. Is that, is that right? I wouldn't know. I, I don't know. So what I, was I, the name of the town that you spent time at then? Do you remember the name um, of it? I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't remember okay. right off the top of my head. Yeah, they all seem to run together. I know with me, things seem to run together after a while. But you are headed south towards the Mediterranean. Is that right? Well, I, I, I stayed there for a month, and then I I headed south towards Paris. Ah, I, okay. I, because there's, uh, you go, once you hit the Seine, um, then you, you go south on the Seine, uh, probably about 150 kilometers, and then you hit Paris. And you go through this wonderful city. I mean, it's just stunningly beautiful with all the bridges and the buildings. And I, I pulled into the Paris Arsenal Marina and I, I, I booked a week there, uh, which was only 45 euros a night. To be right in the heart of Paris for 45 euros a night seemed like a good deal. And I ended up staying six weeks. I, I became friends with several of the other liverboards there. Um, and... It, it just—it was wonderful. It was really good. And I ended up shooting a music video for one of my neighbors, and she she paid me money to shoot a music video for her, which paid for my entire stay and a tank full of diesel. So, um, yeah, Paris was was fabulous. What a great city! Beautiful. What was the name of the marina again? Paris Arsenal Marina. Paris it's Arsenal right... Park. Okay, there it is. Okay. Yeah. All right, zoom in on that. Oh, yeah, you're right in the center there, aren't you? Yep, yep. It's right below uh, Notre Dame, isn't it? Pretty close to the it's, Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it's about 2K from Notre Dame. I, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very central. And Paris is, is very easy to get around. There's the, the metro is fantastic, and then there's buses, and there's scooters and electric bicycles. It's, it's, it's a very mobile city. And it's, it's quite small as, as big cities go, but, um, you know, it's very easy to get around. Did the marina have shower facilities, that sort of thing? Yep. Yeah, fabulous. I mean, really good like stream and really good showers if you need it. I mean, I have a shower on the boat, so I didn't use it much, but they were there and they're, 
you know, we'll take, they'll collect mail for you. And, and they're just very helpful and friendly. If you had any questions, you could just go talk to them. And I'd give them, you know, 10 out of 10 for hospitality. What a delightful way to stay in Paris on your own boat, right yeah. in the center of town then. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So what was the draft like? Uh, how much water did you have under you as you went into? Because it looks like a pretty shallow entrance into the uh, into the port. Uh, I don't know how um, the depth is, but what, my, fo- my boat draws five, and I decided probably five feet. Uh, I don't think in meters, but five feet. Um, and I decided that would be pushing the envelope, plus I have a full keel, and it's hard to maneuver, so I decided my boat would not be the ideal boat to do the French canals uh, in. Five, five, five foot, you could easily get into Paris. It would okay. be, be no problem at all. E- very easy. They've got much bigger boats going in there that probably draw seven or eight foot. But, um, yeah, it, it's depth was never an issue in, in Paris. Okay. All right. So from Paris, where did you head then? I stayed in Paris six weeks, and then it was. I, it's like even though you're having fun, yeah. like, you know, I gotta move on. It's that boat thing, you know. It's like I gotta move on, and so I I moved about sixty five kilometers, like fifty miles uh, south east to a little place called Chartres. Now, are you and, are you on the Seine now when you're moving south then? Yes, yes, we're on the same. We're going upstream on the same, and Chartres was about, as I said, fifty miles in inland. Um, and I came across this really beautiful little marina, right by the riverside. And I, I, I ended up staying there for another month, I think, maybe six weeks, because everyone at the marina was super friendly, and it was. 20 euros a night, 18 euros a night, I think, something like that. And I, I got to know the local area, and I, I loved it. It was just so nice. The people, everyone I met in France was just absolutely welcoming and friendly and helpful, and I'm still in touch with, with just about everyone I met there. Um, so, yeah, really good. Now, do you speak French? I do not know. So you got I'm, by just speaking English all the way through here then? Yeah. Um, most French people speak enough English to communicate, and there's there, there's no attitude. You know, they were, they were just like jokingly talk to me in Franglish sometimes. And, and I was, after you've been there for a while, you start to pick up on stuff, but... I, I, I don't speak French, um, but you can sometimes get what people are talking about and what they mean um, if you just kind of relax. And so you learn a little bit as you go, but I'm, I'm not good at languages. It's not my strong point. But I find that everyone was very helpful. And there's also Google Translate. If you're in a shop and you need a particular thing, you can just use Google Translate. And everyone knows what it is. And so they would just, you know, read the translation and, and you're good. Good to go. So I'm looking at Chartrettes and it look, looks like it's at a bend in the Seine. 
And uh, it looks like there might be a marina to the right as you're going up the river. Is that where the marina Correct. is? Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I can't quite tell on Google Maps whether that's the case. But okay. But that's a pretty small city, isn't it? Yes, very small. Probably only two or three thousand. Okay. And then a larger city is just to the north, Meilun. Is that it? And yep. But you didn't stop there. You went on down through Chartres. Yeah. Yes. Um, it just was. Uh, I I didn't see any places to stop in Melun, so I just kept going and and found this place in Chartres, and it was just wonderful. So, as I said, another six weeks passed, and and then I I, I actually got the reason I think I waited there for a while was because a friend of mine was joining me. A friend of mine from California came over and joined me. Um, for a couple of weeks as we, we headed south. Okay. Yeah, that looks like it's, that looks like a delightful place. Uh, did you meet up with other uh, boaters along the way and do any buddy boating or catch them later on? Uh, not really. Most of the traffic on the waterways around me was commercial. So there were like I mean, they're they're big five and ten thousand ton commercial barges carrying scrap metal, wheat, sawdust, you know, all all sorts of things, and they're the traffic that is using the waterways around you. Um, I I met up with a few people, as I said, who I'm still friends with. But it's we didn't travel together because they were happy where they were, and I was traveling south. So, so what would be the range if that's about another fifty miles south from Paris? Was that done in one day, or did you do that over yes. a couple of days? Okay. No, that was done in one day. You you could do fifty miles on the the canals and rivers easily. You know, you just wake up early and move on. Okay. If you needed to, can you pull over to the side and drop an anchor, or is that uh, not acceptable? Oh, no, you can stop anywhere you want. Um, there, it's not like there's police boats going up and down. So long as you're responsible and you, you pull off somewhere that is safe and not blocking anyone's way, no one's going to tell you off or anything like that. Even if you, you dropped anchor in the middle of the, the canal... There was so little traffic on the canals that there wouldn't be a problem. Okay. Um, the the canals are where it um, about about twenty miles south of Chartres is where we left the River Seine and moved on to the waterways. Um, so there were a few locks to go through to get to Chartres, but not many. It's when you got when you go off just south of Chartres near Fontainebleau, that's when the locks happen. And there, I mean, I went through almost two hundred and twenty, two hundred and thirty locks. Okay, so I'm looking for Fontainebleau. Okay, so going south from Chartres, then you come into Thorny, and then Saint Mamis, and then. Uh, looking around Mont Montreal, is it farther from there? Then I guess I'm just looking for. It. Let me just put. How do you spell Fontainebleau? I uh, there it is. There it is. I, I, 
I got yeah. it. <laughs> Just start <laughs> typing and it puts it in for you. Okay, good. Yep. All right. Nope, not right. Not the right one. Okay. There we go. All right. So that's where you got onto the canals then. And then you yeah. start heading. Now you're doing, now you are doing um, locks. Yeah, you start to lose the big commercial traffic, um, you know, the 5,000-ton barges. And the the time of year I was doing this, there was no one. You could literally go all day and not see another boat because there's just no one on the waterways in, in the winter. And, and we were, I think that was now November, um and and I got as far as a town called Montagie. Okay. And um, I, I there was a one, one thing you you get in France that you I've not seen anywhere else. Certainly not in the UK. Is there would be a little dock somewhere in town that you can tie off to, and then there's power that you can plug into, and there's a water supply. And they, there's a little sign that says you're welcome to stay four days and use the water and power. And so um, I got to Montagie and I'm like, I, I just want to rest for a couple of days. And so I tied off and I connected to the water and the power and stuff, uh, which is free. There, there's no charge for that. It's just given to you by the local town because they want you to come in and spend their money in their restaurants and, and whatever. And and then I went to move off, and I saw that the bridge just south of me had suddenly been enveloped by this tarpaulin, and they were doing some work on it. And I, I, I spoke to the chap um, who was one of the workers, and I said, how long is this going to take? And he goes, oh, two months. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, because it's the winter. That's when they do their maintenance. And this was a little bridge that was going over the town and they needed to fix it. So I'm like, okay. And, and you can't get upset about it because there's nothing you can do. And I just was like, well, I guess I'm going to be here for the next two months. And then someone from the VNF came by and um, she was very nice and she spoke English. And she said, yeah, they're, they're doing work on the bridge, but you're welcome to stay here as long as you want. You can use the power and the water, use anything you want. You're very welcome. And then when they open the bridge, um, you carry on with your journey. But, uh, you know, that was that. They were just very nice about it, very communicative. So you're not seeing traffic, much traffic at all on the canals? I mean, to me, that's sort of one of the bucket, on my bucket list of things to do. Are there... Not in the winter. In the ah, winter, okay. they... They tend not to use the canals that much. And I don't think it's that they freeze over. I mean, they might if it got really cold. But I think it's just that they, the French like to go out in the summer, you know. That's, the, that's what they do. But, yeah, I did not see many boats on, on the waterways of France in the winter. So did you get much snow? Um, no, I think it snowed one day, but... It didn't settle. 
So when you get into these towns like Montreges, do you just walk? Do you have a bicycle? How do you get around the town? I I actually bought a bought a bike. It was like I, I went on Facebook and found some guy and he sold me a bike for like 70 euros. So I could ride the bike around town, um, which is just, you know, it's a, it's a pathetic attempt at staying fit. Um, but because you, you get really lazy on a boat, you're like, oh, I'm not going to bother. But um, the, because of Google, it makes it very easy to catch buses and trains if you need to get anywhere. Because you just type in where you want to go and then hit directions and it tells you how to get there. Um, but I did have a bike on the boat and I, I used that. But there are plenty of really good shops and supermarkets and bakeries really close. And I, I, I felt very home at home there. You, you get to know the local shopkeepers and they're like, they, they're very friendly. Um, but then they, they fixed the bridge and off we went again and um, went, went headed south. So you are really taking your time getting through France. That's great. I mean, most yep. Americans, if they're stuck for a week, they're going to go crazy. So you just... Well, the thing is, I mean, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, about giving the French a bit of, you know... They, oh, the French are so unfriendly. They're rude. They're unpleasant. Not at all. I, the only person I came across in France who had a bad attitude was some English twerp in a cell phone store who thought he wasn't being served quick enough. But he was English. He wasn't even French. <laughs> I didn't come across one bad attitude from a French person the entire time I was in France. They could not have been nicer. So I'm looking at the canal. So you just tied up to the side of the canal while you were there then? Yeah. Okay, because it looks like there's a lot of boats tied up to the side of the canal before there's yeah. a big two-lane bridge going across there. I don't know if that's the bridge you're talking about or not because there's several no, bridges. No, the, the bridge that they were repairing was the next bridge on. Um, but, you know, you just you couldn't go. You couldn't move. So that was that. Okay. Interesting. There's a bunch of uh, a bunch of the city that is blocked off by uh, the satellite, so there must be something sensitive in that location. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you can see all around it except for this one square block, and suddenly you can't see anything in this square block. So that's crazy. So, <laughs> all right. So from there, then you head continue on down south. Then, yes, uh, I headed south. I went through Briari. And then um, Nevers, and I stayed in Nevers for about a month because it was just such a nice little town. And again, I was paying like 15 euros a night to stay there, which is like $12. Um, and I, I just stuck around there for a while. And then I pushed south um, and went all the, all the way through the middle of France to a little town called Chalon-sur-Saône um, and I stayed there for maybe a week. Beautiful little town, really nice, just like typical old French town. 
Um, but beautiful museums and great public transport and the people in the marina were super helpful. And I stayed there for about a week and then carried on south to uh, Lyon, which again, fantastic town. It's the second biggest town in France, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but, a large town. Yeah, yeah, large town, but it's it's very art. It's a big art center, and there's there's like tons of museums and art shows and events going on, and the again the marina was right in the middle of things. There was a big shopping center on one side and a museum on the other, and it was eighteen euros a night. Okay, and um, that in, that includes power, you know. You're not paying extra for power at this point, and so because um, we we were in the winter still, so I needed to. I I had to heat the boat. I can either use a diesel heater, or if I'm in a marina, I I can just plug in and use the power and have a little fan heater on the boat. That was never never an issue. Well, it looks like that's where the Rhone comes together. Is that did you get on the Rhone at that at that point? Yes, yeah, that's the point at which you, you're you're back in the world of big barges. So there's a lot of transport because I mean, it's like if you can put eight thousand tons of iron ore on a barge and just move it through France, that's a lot more economical than having forty five trucks. In um, and so they, they really do use their, their waterways commercially. So you've got to know what you're doing, and you're going through big locks, and you don't want to get in the way of the big barges. You've got to pay a lot of attention. Um, you're using a VHF radio um, to talk to the locks to confirm that you're cleared to enter. You know, it's like you don't just show up in a lock and drive into it. As you're approaching it, when you're about 500 yards away, you call them and you say, they all speak broken English or good English, learned English. And you just tell them who you are, that you're a motorboat and you're heading south. And they're like, okay, um, could you hold for 20 minutes? And And then a barge will go in first. And then you pop in behind the barge and then you let them, let them know that you're in as well. And then they'll close the gates of the bar of the, the lock, the ecluse. And then when you've dropped, and some of the drops are like, you know, 40 meters, 40 yards. They're, they're big drops. Uh, you, you, the barge will go out first. And then you, you kind of hold a bit because you want the, the turbulence to just die down a little bit. And then you head out and off you go, Um, you know, uh, but never had any problems. Um, One of the like one day I had probably 25, 25, maybe 30 knot tailwind as I entered the the lock. And I I had to like throw the lines out and try and less do the to get the boat to stop because it was being blown by the wind. But um, I managed, you know, you, 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 you just have to. If you're on the boat by yourself, you just 
you have to do it. So. so that was my next question. So you're going through these locks by yourself and you have to tie off to the side. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So but you they, have a four, four line a four a bow line and a stern line tying off to the side. No, usually you just tie off to one of the big cleats, but hang on a second. <laughs> boat just went past me quite fast and so I'm hey I'm rocking all over the place. <laughs> Every now and again one of the pilot boats will scoot past and um go a little bit fast and cause a big weight. Alright, so I've been to Malta. I'm trying to visualize where you are. Are you in the big the big harbor, the commercial harbor? No, I'm I'm in the real south end of, of Malta. It's a little town called Brisbuga. Okay, we'll get to there in a, in a little while. I'm not going to zoom yeah. over there yet, but let's continue down the road. So you are able to get in. So you're ta- are you basically taking a line around your mid cleat on your boat then? Yes. Okay. Correct. Okay, so you're not uh, worried then, about the bow coming in or the stern coming in. You're just able, basically staying in the well, what you What I find the best way to do is to tie off, because the, the cleats that you're tying off to float. So as the water drops, oh, okay. it okay. goes down. And so you don't have to worry about that. So you'll tie off to that. But if you leave the boat in gear, so to speak, it's pushing forward, then that pulls the boat in. And so okay, you're, you're leaving it. The propellers are turning. One of the, I usually would have one of the propellers turning, which pushes you against the side and stops you moving around and i only learned that as i was going through the locks and i saw one of the big barges do that i'm like oh that's a good idea i'll do that so Um, so in the locks they actually have a floating dock that goes up and down with you then is that right correct ah yeah okay okay i mean i i videotaped it i mean as as you know i i've been i did a whole video Okay, the, the trip. I mean, I, it's like there's, I'm up to like I think 68 episodes so far, but I've, I've documented how you get through the big locks. Okay, uh, so I've I've, I've got video. some links to your your YouTube videos in the show notes, and I guess people can go to any one of those videos and see all your other videos. So I'll have to go look at a few yeah. of those. That'll be fun. Okay, they're pretty entertaining. Yeah, like I say, I, I know I, I wanted to look at a few of them, but time ran out, so I didn't have a chance to look yeah. at your videos before we started talking. So that's great. You put to, you put this body of knowledge together for anybody in the future. That's great. So, yeah, I, what I what I do is I I try and keep it entertaining, but I also try and keep it informative. So if you had a boat and you wanted to go through France via the waterways. There's a lot of really good information in the videos that I've made. Um, but there's also a few funny bits as well because, you know, shit happens. And it's not always <laughs> not always what you're expecting. So what speed are you normally cruising at in your boat then? Uh, three knots. Oh, that's slow. Okay, okay. Yeah, you, you don't want to cause a wake because there's, you know, there's ducks and swans and other wildlife that you you try not to disturb so you're going pretty slow i'm literally starting the motors i whenever i would maneuver i've got them both running 
but once I was running, I would I would kill one of the side one of the motors, and just use use one instead of two motors until you get to the lock, and then you start the second motor up, so you can maneuver better. Okay, okay. So we're heading down the Rhone. What's the next interesting town you got to? Uh, Viviers, uh, V I V E. I-E-R-S, the VS. I got there, and it was just this beautiful little town. And, again, it was like 15 euros a night. And I had to, I stayed there for like three weeks, and then I got a call to go back and um, shoot the Glastonbury Festival in London, in, in England. And so I just left my boat there. And went back, flew back through Lyon, uh, went back to Glastonbury for a couple of weeks and then worked there and then flew back and then carried on my journey. So what festival was, were you filming or not, not filming, <laughs> photographing? The, the Glastonbury Festival. I'm not familiar with it. What is it? Glastonbury is the mother of all festivals. It's about 200,000 people with... <laughs> Absolute like A-list bands performing. Um, so it's, it's, so a, it's a music festival then. Yeah, okay. very big music festival. And where is that at? That's in Britain somewhere. A town called Glastonbury. Oh, okay. That's why they call it the Glastonbury Festival then. Okay. Glastonbury Festival. Yeah, it, it's been going since the seventies, I think, and it's it's big. All right. So you got a paid gig for that one then, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not retired. I, I still work. Um, and I, I'll talk about that as we finish. But for, for now, we'll just carry on. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not retired yet. <laughs> yeah, this looks like that. Uh, it's almost like a national park in Viviers, isn't it? Yeah, there's... Um, the little, the whole area is just beautiful. There's, there's like national parks and there's big old churches and towers and castles and things. And there's a confluence of two rivers there, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly where the marina is. Oh, right at the confluence then, huh? Yep. All right, zoom in here. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's the marina. They're off to the right as you're coming down the road then. Just before that, yep. okay. A little, okay, yeah. Not a big marina, but enough for maybe 40 boats? Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. Probably. But super friendly, and, you know, you, you pull in there, you plug in, you, you pay 15 euros a night, and they're super friendly, super helpful. There's a little bar, restaurant right there at the marina, and... I, I can't recommend these places strongly enough. They're just delightful. Now, would you want to do it in the winter again? Or would you want to do it in the summer? Um, I, I don't really care, you know. It's like, I, 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 whatever, you know. Um, the, the trick with boating is to learn that you, you have plans, but your plans sometimes don't go to plan. You need to chill out and go with the flow. 
So, yeah, like there, I I met some guy in um, Lyon, and he had a birchwood boat like mine, um, a bit smaller and a bit older, um, even though my boat's quite old. And he was this funny German guy, and I said, "How did you get here?" And he said, "Oh." And basically what he did was he got whenever he got to a decision point, whether he goes left or right, he would toss a coin <laughs> and decide whether he'd go left or right on the toss of a coin. And he just said, yeah, I happen to end up here. And he goes, when I leave here, I'm going to toss a coin. If I toss left, I'll go to the Mediterranean. If I toss right, I'll go back up north again. But it was all, everything was done on the toss of a coin. And he was just, it was funny. He was a lovely guy. But he just liked being on a boat on the waterways of France. So how much did you pay for your boat? Um, the sticker price was £49,000. But I'm a big fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide. So I told the sales guy... Offering forty two thousand, <clears throat> and he kind of looked at me and he said forty two, and I'm like, yeah, because I knew the guy who owned it before worked in the film industry, so I guess he understood the whole forty two thing. What's the whole forty two thing? I've never heard of that. Have you heard of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I have, uh huh, but I don't. I never read it. I just have heard of it. Then. My one bit of advice to you is to read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because, as it says in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's possibly the most important book ever written. <laughs> but they might be a little biased. Um, but the 42 is the answer. Oh, it's the magic number then. Yes. Okay. So I offered him 42 and I got an answer back, no. So I, I, I smiled at the sales guy and I said, offer him 42 and a half. And he goes, he's not going to take it. I said, I bet he will. So he called the guy up, offered him 42 and a half, and the guy said, yes. <laughs> And that okay. was that. So, I so, so when, before you bought your boat, did you have it surveyed? Because my concern yes. on a buying a used boat would be the uh, would be the engine. That would be my big concern on a boat. How many hours I, did it have, and how how good a shape yeah. was the engine in? I I absolutely got a survey done, and I would recommend that you do not buy a boat unless you get a survey done. Um, um it wasn't a. I mean, it, it took the guy six hours to do the survey, so it wasn't like he pulled everything apart. But he checked everything, and he came highly recommended. And I said, what about the motors? And he said, they look solid, because these, the, the motors that you have on this boat are probably the most common medium to big-sized diesel engines in the world. They, they're, they're straight sixes, uh, they're, these are made in Italy um, by Cummings, and they are, so long as you change the oil on them, they're, they're just bulletproof. They'll just go. And because they're so common, if anything does break on them, 
you can always get parts okay. because people are like, oh, yeah, those, yeah, not a problem. Now, did you have to pay VAT on the boat or was it already prepaid VAT? Um, I think, you know, hang on one second because the actual, I keep it with me. Um, <laughs> it's right by your hand, huh? Right <laughs> here. Yeah, it just... It doesn't mention VAT, so I'm gathering that VAT was already on. The, it was paid when I paid it. So. Okay, so I mean, I hear I sailed for almost thirty years in the Mediterranean. I, I was always worried about VAT. That was always my big fear, but I was really never bothered about it. So. Right. Um, that's something. It's you know, it's funny because people. Some people like to worry about stuff, mm -hmm. and I, I don't. You know, it's like it's, it's only a problem if it's actually a problem. If you think it's going to be a problem, it might not be a problem. And especially in, in Malta, it's just everything, nothing's a problem. You know, it's like, it's okay, whatever. Um, I, I, I have one friend who had a boat in Italy and some customs inspectors came and knocked on his boat and said, oh, you need to pay VAT on, on this. And he's like, I've already paid it. I don't know, whatever. It was an old boat. And so basically what he had to do was employ a local agent who cost 100 euros and he filled out some forms and he said, the problem's gone away. You can take, <laughs> take, the, take this piece of paper and show it to them, the customs people, and they'll tell you, not a problem, all good. And so he took it to them and showed them and they said, yeah, not a problem, all good. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it's like if you, if you worry about things, it can drive you crazy on a boat. But I, most people I know have not been hassled by VAT, which is value-added tax, and it has been a nightmare for many British people because we used to be in the EU, so we were all part of the same club, so there was never an issue with any taxes, and if you felt like you fell in love with some little Italian town, you could just go buy a house there and whatever. But now we're not in the EU. There's this, we don't have freedom of movement and you can't do all that. And they, I, I don't know. Basically, I, I haven't come across that problem in Malta. And if anyone comes and asks me, I'll just say it's already paid. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So from the Veers, where did you go from there then? Uh, that was four days south of the Mediterranean, sorry, four days away from the Mediterranean. Oh, wow. So once I pushed, once I pushed out of Bavia, uh, I, I carried on south, and I, I, I'd literally pulled over and tied off to the side of the, the river and camped when I needed to. And then the water started getting a bit salty, and I found myself at Port Napoleon, and that's the Mediterranean. And they they were very friendly there. Uh, I was a, I didn't actually go to Port Napoleon. Um, 
I, I went to a place called Port Saint Louis. So as you as you get to the as the river gets to the Mediterranean, you can pull off to the left and go through a lock because they do have some tides there, and for some reason there's a lock there. I, I can't I don't know why, but there is. And um, but it's literally six inches of, of travel. And then I, I ended up in Port St. Louis and that that's the Mediterranean and I stayed there for maybe two weeks. I mean I, I was staying there for two or three nights and then going out for two or three nights exploring or two or three days and exploring the local area and just like embracing the fact that I'd made it all the way to the Mediterranean. And then um, I left there and started heading around the French coast. So what time of year is this then? That would be a summer. Because okay. I, I, my birthday was the 6th of July, and I know I was in Port St. Louis for my birthday. Um, and then um, I, it was a couple of days motoring around the coast to get to uh, Coquelin which is just inland from Saint-Tropez. That, that whole area is beautiful, just wonderful. And Coquelin was, I think, about 25 euros a night. It wasn't expensive. And so I stayed there, and I, I've got family in, a cousin of mine in Saint-Tropez, so we hung out a few times. and. Um, then you move on. I just started to carry on going around the coast. So you just uh, harbor hopped all the way up through the coast of France and down through Italy then? Yeah. Well, when I got to the Cannes-Nice area, the Côte d'Azur, um, it's the most beautiful area. And it's I, I'd, been, I'd spent some time there when I was like 21, 22 and it was so nice to just be there and so friendly and the, the the marina in nice is a 10 out of 10 it was not expensive super friendly and you're literally right in the middle of, of nice and there's shops and supermarkets and all the other boaters are super friendly and helpful and so i stayed there and then i would pop around to Beaulieu. And then back, I'd go back to Cannes, and then I'd spend a couple of days out in uh, Ile Saint Marguerite, which is a couple of islands just south of, of Cannes, um, which is very popular. You've got to get there early because 1,200 boats will be there by midday. And I'm not kidding. When I say 1,200 boats, I can send you photographs. And you can't count all the boats. They so where, so go. where do they stay if they're there late? Do they just anchor out then? They just drop anchor. Everyone okay. just goes out there and drops anchor. So, and I, so in Nice, there's two two harbors. It looks like there's Quartier du Port, and then there's another one that I'm not looking at. Uh, uh, Porto via France Sumer. So there's a couple ports in Nice I'm looking at. So yeah. I, I don't know which one's which. Anyway, okay, um, either one then is probably good then. Yeah, the the one that I stayed at is the main port in the old town of Nice. Okay, that's the uh, Quartier, Quartier du, du Port. So that's the one. Probably, there. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, super friendly, 
um, inexpensive, um, which a very good chandeliers. You can, I mean, I changed my oil when I was there. They got a free oil place, drop oil there, um, and and tons of little restaurants and, and bars and things to hang out. So, what's the length of your boat, and how many does it comfortably sleep? Um, it is a, a Berta TS thirty seven, so it's thirty seven foot in length, okay. so eleven point three meters. Um, um, and I could sleep, I could comfortably sleep six in it. Oh, wow. Okay. So fairly large then. Uh, I could comfortably sit with six friends. In. Okay. Yeah. Close friends then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not a large boat, but it's perfect for me. All right. Um, the reason it's perfect for me is if I'd bought a boat, that was two inches taller, I would not have been able to get under some of the bridges as at the north and the north of France. Okay. Um, and, and if when you're down below, is there room for a six foot two tall person? Yes. Okay. All right. So the, the height of the boat was critical for what you wanted to do then. Yeah. Um, there's an arch across the back of the boat, um, which I dropped down most of the trip because getting under the bridges you know mm -hmm. i don't need a, i don't need a radar ratchet up, up there so i dropped that down and it, it fitted under all the bridges without any problems okay. a couple of them you're like oh shit I, we made it you know but okay uh, it, it worked <laughs> I didn't uh, scrape anything. All right. We've gone almost an hour already, and we're just barely to the Mediterranean. How much more do you think we want to talk about before we get to Malta? Do we need to come back for a second uh, podcast? I, I can come back for a second one because there's lots of good information about cruising the, cruising the Mediterranean. It's uh -huh. very, very different. All right. So we are going to call it a podcast, and let's try to get together next week and do a second one then. Sure. That'd be great. All right. Thanks a lot, Steve. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for the interesting questions. And uh, I, it's really good fun to encourage people to go on these adventures. So thank you for, for helping with that. My pleasure. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. You got it. Talk to you later. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.
I'm going to be selling my boat. It's got to the point where my family can't join me on the boat. I've got four grandkids, and uh, my boat is never going to be able to handle my family anymore. My wife is getting to the point where it's difficult for her to get in and out of the boat. She's 70 years old. I'm going to be 70 years old in July. And it's just a lot more work than I can handle at this point in time. It's becoming more and more difficult for me to do all the work on the boat that is required to keep the boat in the shape that I like to keep it in. So I put a web page on the website, which is medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. There's another website called Medsailors. That's not my website. That's a, that's a charter website. But my website is medsailor.com, M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. And I put some details on my boat, which is up for sale. If you are interested in possibly buying my boat, I think the best way to really evaluate my boat is to actually sail my boat. And over the next two years, I plan on moving my boat up to Florida or maybe a little north of Florida if I need to get out of the hurricane zone, maybe up to uh, South or North Carolina, wherever it is where I end up out of the hurricane zone and uh, leave it there to sell it. I'm going to next year, I plan on moving it up to Puerto Rico. Currently, it is in Trinidad, so I'm going to be doing the whole length of the Caribbean over the next two summers, no, excuse me, next two winters. Uh, I'll probably start sailing this next winter in January, maybe the middle of January, and sail for two, maybe two and a half months, working my way up to Puerto Rico. And so people that are interested in the boat, I will give the opportunity to join me for a period of time on that trip up. It will not be free. Basically, I will sell you an option to buy the boat. And if you decide to exercise that option, then the value of that option would be applied to the purchase of the boat. I'm thinking probably $2,000 for uh, sailing with me for a week so you can evaluate the boat. And that would be that $2,000 would be considered a, uh, an option, a purchase option on buying the boat at the listed price. If you choose to exercise that option, then the price of the option would be applied to the boat. If not, then you lose that. I don't want to have people joining me on the boat just to get a free trip. That's not what I want. If I, if I want to have people for, with a free trip, then it's going to be people I know or friends or families or clients. If you're interested, people that are interested in my boat are a very specific group of people. It's a Lyle Hess design, Bristol Channel Cutter, hull number 71. The hull was built at Sam Morse Boat Company in California. I finished the boat myself. I took five years to finish it. I did a hell of a job finishing it. I'm proud of it. What sets my boat apart from almost all the other Bristol Channel Cutters that are for sale on the internet is my bulwarks are all teak. The problem with Sam Moore's building his boats in, in Costa Mesa, California, was he used mahogany for the uh, for the bulwarks, and he varnished them, and they look great until the varnish starts deteriorating. And you have to protect that wood. Well, with teak, you do not have to worry about it. Teak is designed to take anything you can throw at it. I've kept the boat. 
when I'm not sailing the boat under a full cover for pretty much its entire life. So the bulwarks are all teak. You don't have to worry about sanding them. At one point in time, I put a sort of a semi-varnish on it called a CETOL. And it started flaking, and I just let it go. I just let the sun burn it all off. And you just can still see little pieces of it around where the sun never hit. But I don't have to worry about painting my boat and maintaining those bulwarks. That by itself is probably worth at least $30,000 because teak is not cheap. And it's much more expensive now than it was when I built it. But it wasn't cheap when I built the boat. So that's a big, big part of my boat that makes it different from most other boats that you will see for sale. As I put an entire teak exterior, the only mahogany on my boat is the hatches, the forward hatch, the middle hatch, and uh, the the frame around the cockpit hatch. They've been kept in decent shape, in good shape. In fact, I'm having them varnished, stripped down and varnished this winter while I'm away. Uh, the main portholes are unique. They're cast oval portholes with were cast custom cast from patterns which were loaned to me by Larry Party. I have a full wind vane, which is the uh, wind vane that Larry Party designed. I built it myself. But Mike Anderson, my friend in Newport Beach, makes these commercially. I built my own, and it works great. It sailed me all the way across the Atlantic. I hardly touched the tiller all the way across the Atlantic. If you want to be a true blue water sailor, you need to have this wind vane on your boat if you have a Bristol Channel cutter. And if you don't, uh, then you need to have some sort of auto helm or self-steering. So anyway, if you have an interest in this, be sure you reach out to me. Uh, you can write me at Franz number one at medsailor.com franz1 at medsailor.com and we can talk about it i haven't put together my schedule for next winter but i'm going to basically break it up into about six different legs so probably join me for about a week at a time and then move on then the next crew would join me and so forth on on up to puerto rico where i i'm hoping to leave the boat over the next summer. I guess it's not the winter. I'm summering the boat now. 